Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome into the Inside of the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you. Hope everyone is doing well. Looking forward to a Halloween weekend. Hope it's not extra scary for you out there. Um, usually during the bye week, we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I, I felt like uh, we do Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, just because, you know, as we get closer to next week and the game and all that, didn't really want to leave you guys hanging for a few days. The mailbag backs up. I haven't checked it today yet. But we got some questions and um, could obviously go through all of those and uh, make sure that they all get answered, clear out the old inbox and get ready for Halloween, a weekend of college football without the Gamecocks and then rocking and rolling into next week to what's going to be a critical game against Texas A&M. Folks, you know, we talk about this a lot and, and, and it seems like the entire Muschamp era has been this way. And there's reasons why it felt this way to begin with. And I've said this before, you know, you got a guy that wasn't the most popular hire. Um, and, and, and really, no matter who they hired, you know, again, you're talking about, um, you know, 16 and a half years, two coaching changes, or 17 years, two coaching changes. You get Lou Holtz, you get Steve Spurrier. That's not going to happen three times in a row. And you look at even some of the outstanding programs around the country with, uh, you know, Florida, look at all the coaches they've had, Tennessee, you know, look at all the coaches they've had. And, you know, I think a lot of people thought maybe they were on the right track. And in Knoxville now, they're like, ah, things are not good. Um, And you look at some of these programs that historically have been better than Carolina and, you know, they don't, you know, they kind of hit or miss too. Uh, and so it was It was going to be that way. You know, Tom Herman, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley, whoever you hired, you know, they're not coming in with national championship rings. Um, now, you could have hired Mac Brown, um, but I, I don't know of a lot of people that even thought Mac Brown back to North Carolina would work. Mac's just done a good job. Uh, and he's kind of in a spot where he, <laughs> he sort of knows the, the secret sauce to getting it done. Uh, at the University of North Carolina, and and they're doing the exact same thing they did before, only with really, really good coordinators this time and a dynamic offense and all that good stuff. So when you look at the the totality of it, and he still can't beat Florida State, but you you look at the totality of it, you know, no matter who you went and got, you know, they weren't walking in with championship rings. Um, And the the program was kind of, you know, not good, and, and you have that pressure because the program had been good uh, roster-wise, talent-wise. And, and then you have the other pressure of the, the your in-state rival becomes one of the best teams in college football uh, during the transition, <laughs> and that's not good. Um, you know, your other rival across the way there played for a national championship in 2017, and that hadn't happened since 1980, and that's not good. Um, and, and then now you have the pressure of Mac Brown being at North Carolina and recruiting well, and that's not good. Um, so every week there's a lot of sort of unspoken pressure and it always feels like this is a must win. This is what you got to do. And I felt it and the teams felt it. And I think Will Muschamp's felt it and everybody's felt that. Um, 
it's been like grinding gears a little bit, you know, it's, 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 it's been, it's been tough. It's been tough. Um, and so we say things like, this is a must win. This is, has to happen. This is this, this, and this, that. And last year, you know, look, I, I do think that Kentucky game at home was one they needed to get when you're talking about last year, uh, this year, I'm looking at it in terms of a three game stretch. You have to get two of them. And it would be very beneficial if you did not lose to Ole Miss or Missouri. <laughs> uh, you know, the A&M, A&M would be a great win. You play them every year. They're probably going to be in the top 10. You know, I expect a close game with the Aggies in Arkansas just because no matter how bad Arkansas, it's kind of like South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas and A&M. They, they, it's usually a close game no matter what. Chad Morris, I think, played them within seven and I think went to overtime with them one time. They usually play that out at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium in Arlington this year. A&M demanded – they just demanded it. Well, this game's going to be at Kyle Field. So, it's at Kyle Field this year. Uh, so, that may mean a little bit different. But I think that will be a close game. But A&M, I think, will win. Uh, and I think they're going to come into, into Columbia in the top ten for a night game, which, you know, may be a little bit of a trap for them because, obviously, you know, they've lost to a lot of teams in the league – but over the years, but they have not lost to South Carolina <laughs> and they played them every year since 2014. So, you know, it, it's an opportunity, but, you know, even if you get that win, I think it's a bad look to lose to uh, either one of those next two guys that are in their first year. Um, and certainly both teams are capable of beating the Gamecocks and vice versa. So I think we're entering a cr- cr- critical stretch Um I think had Carolina beaten LSU, maybe it wasn't so much. But uh, I think now you look, you're two and three, um, six and 13 in your last 19 ball games. Um, you know, two of those wins are against Vandy, and I think one's against Charleston Southern. Uh, you know, and then the other three are Georgia and Auburn, and one more. Or, oh, Georgia, Auburn, Kentucky. So, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and I see, you know, and I, I want to make this clear. I know some of you are on Gamecock Central and, and other sites, and, and they wrote an article comparing Spurrier's first four years to Muschamp's first four years. And I, I have not read that article. Uh, I did read someone on our message board, Big Spur, kind of pirate that and do a statistical comparison. And, and look, I agree the first four years under Spurrier – were, you know, in terms of outcomes of seasons, mediocre. Uh, he's one in three against Clemson. But if you keep in mind, Lou Holtz only beat Clemson once. Uh, so at the time, even though Clemson wasn't Clemson, it was still tough to beat him. He went up to Death Valley, came back and beat him his second year. He beat a, a Georgia team that finished ranked second in the country in 2007 in Athens earlier in the year. Um, in 2007. And that was, that was the year they lost out and didn't go to a bowl. Uh, I thought his worst team was the 08 team, uh, and they still ended up in the Outback Bowl, and that was partly partly because the SEC was sort of a, a hot mess outside of Florida uh, that year and, an Alabama, and a resurgent Alabama. So they slid into the Outback Bowl and, of course, got beat. And, I, and I, look, I, I agree. Some of those teams early on under Spurrier were, were no better than Muschamp's second year. You know, and and maybe sometimes the third uh, at South Carolina, maybe the 2018 team 
would have been better. But you're talking about, you know, two out of now five years compared to four years of, at the time, historically above average for the program football. Now, it would be average now because programs grow and develop and spend money and build facilities and they change and they start winning and the expectations change. I mean, nobody, uh, when you talk, I'll I'll use Virginia tech as an example, Justin Fuente got waxed at home by Duke last year, 45, 10. And and they were, you know, there were some folks up there that were ready to make a change, you know, and they're, they're not going back to the Frank Beamer, you know, it took him six years to build the program model because that was then, you know, yeah, it took Steve Spurrier six years to get things going, but that's why Steve Spurrier put in 10 and a half years and won all those games because he built it. You know, it, it should not take five years uh, to get back. It, 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 look, it should have taken, it should take five years to get back to where you're competing for the East. Okay. Because that that's kind of the, right now the ceiling, you know, Compete for the East, try to win it, you know. Not, well, in year four, <laughs> uh, you know, the bottom's going to fall out. They're going to have, you know, one of very few non-bowl seasons that take place around Carolina. Um, and then, you know, whatever happens this year happens. Uh, and I'm going to judge the totality of it based on what happens this season. Um, however, you know, y- 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 there's a lot of differences between – those first four years and these first four years, you know, the, the most important thing is, is the program had never done some of the things Spurrier was doing. They'd never won in Knoxville. They'd never beaten Florida at all since being a member of the, the SEC. You know, they, they certainly were struggling as a program to beat the Clemson Tigers, and they did it in year two. Almost did it two more times, too, should have. Those games still stick in everybody's crawl. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't the same Clemson, and I, I don't expect Will Muschamp to beat Clemson. Um, you know, even if they were playing this year, I, I don't. Uh, that would not be one I would expect, unless unless Trevor Lawrence really was out. You know, was out for that game, and we'll see what happens to them this weekend. Um, Boston College is actually better than people think. Uh, they got a good quarterback transferred in from Notre Dame, a new coach Jeff Halfley that's re-energized them, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that BC is going to march into the Valley and win, but um, uh, I'll, you know, I understand the Clemson thing. And I do understand too, you know, Muschamp did beat a good Georgia team on the road. He he did beat Auburn for the first time since they've been in the SEC. You know, there have been some good spots, you know, uh, but the the overall trajectory of the program um you got to keep it above water. You got to keep it, you know, at, and look, if, if, if this were the first couple of years, that's different. Cause then, then you're like, well, it's a bad situation. He's building everybody needs patience, but to, it, it, it sort of got better. You go from three to six to nine, and then you drop back to seven and that's fine, but you don't really expect it to go any worse than six or seven because that, you know, that rarely happened. You know, so, so I'm not, my point is I'm not buying that. I, I'm, not, I'm not buying that we need to go uh, and compare the two eras because that's just not, that's not fair to Will Muschamp. Um, and it's sort of some revisionist history under Spurrier, and it completely ignores and discounts, number one, you know, the stretch that they're in right now, which is the worst stretch, wins and losses-wise, against Power 5 football teams 
since Brad Scott and Lou Holtz went one in 21 or one in 24 from 1997 to 1999. And just like that stretch, this stretch has stretched over three years. Okay. Now, obviously it's not as bad as that. That was bad. That was, that was rock bottom. Gamecocks are nowhere near there now. But, you know, that, that's the bottom line is it's not, it's not so much the overall record or the record against top 25 teams. And then there's, you know, the record against oh teams that finished in the top 25, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That's not really how people count those, but that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, you can compare those and they are compared overall. It's compare, it's comparable, but you know, you go season by season, you break that puppy up and you look at the trend line. And South Carolina in 08 wasn't necessarily trending up. That was year four under Spurrier. Uh, in fact, I think Steve Spurrier himself and, you know, the, the, they kind of got at a crossroads and were like, well, we need to get rid of a bunch of coaches. <laughs> and they did. You know, they got John Hunt out and hired Wolford. And, they, they you know, they ended up hiring that offseason. Jay Graham, G.A. Mangus came in. Uh, Lorenzo Ward came in. Um which, you know, people can say that what they want about Whammy and, you know, how it ended as a D.C. And, and I, I do believe he was – that was a disaster um, and, a, and a bad decision. But keep in mind, too, Lorenzo Ward, when he was the defensive backs coach slash defensive coordinator in title, was a very, very important recruiter on the Genevieve and Clowney uh, thing. So, you know, he, he did help get one of the best players uh, in the history of the program. Uh, to come to South Carolina and coached up Stephon Gilmore. And, you know, as a position coach, it was a lot different when you evaluate Lorenzo Ward than as a coordinator. Um, So that was a good move at the time. Uh, You know, and I think that, you know, that group was instrumental in in salvaging the 09 class, which, you know, Carolina did benefit from Fulmer getting fired at Tennessee, Bowden getting fired at Clemson. I think North Carolina and North Carolina State had some changes the year before uh, or two years before that allowed them to get guys out of North Carolina like Melvin Ingram and Travian Robertson and guys like that. Um, So so there was some benefit, but I I do think that, you know, they they were at a crossroads, but the trajectory had not fallen. You know, at that point, you know, three bowls in four years, that had never happened. Um, You know, you're – the losses to Vanderbilt were kind of embarrassing, you know, losing five straight at the end of 07 when you're in the top 10 was embarrassing, but you know, Spurrier made some changes. Carolina was good on defense. And then in 09, you know, which wasn't a super duper year, uh, especially with how it ended at the bowl, you know, Carolina beat uh, a top five at the time, Ole Miss team at home on a Thursday night. Uh, Carolina beat Clemson in their ACC Atlantic champions. Uh, they went toe-to-toe with second-ranked Florida uh, at the time when Florida wasn't losing at all uh, at home. And that sort of set the stage for Lattimore to come in and for the 2010 team to, you know, do what they did, and then away they went. So, you know, the trajectory to me was, was a lot different. You know, maybe it didn't rise after year four, what wasn't pointed up, but it wasn't pointed down. And then in 09, it was pointed up a little. And then 2010, it was kind of, they, you know, they kicked the door in and won the East. And that wasn't a great team, I mean, but they won the East. So, um, you know, I, I just – I think some of that stuff's 
a little dishonest. I don't know why people are, are putting it out there. Uh, again, I'm not. I'm not trying to be critical of, of of Gamecock Central. I don't even know who wrote the article for them. Um, I just know that it made its way to the Big Spur message board, and so that's kind of the, the the version of this that I'm saying. You know that that's just you got to look at what's happening right now, and, and and really for the past you know end of 2018, all of 2019 start of 2020. And, and that's what you got to judge when you're talking about the trajectory of the program. Um, and uh, I'm not saying anybody needs to be fired. If we're halfway through the season, that would be asinine. But I do think there is work to be done, and it's to be done on Saturdays with the team and, and, and on the scoreboard. You know, I, I think everything else is fine, you know, unless there's something happening, which I have no idea what would be, uh, unless there's something happening internally, you know, during the week, because my, my champ likes to say we won this game on Tuesday and Wednesday. Well, is there something happening during that time that maybe nobody's aware of subconsciously or something that, that, that's causing the, the collapses on Saturday? I don't know. I don't know. Because, um, I mean, you look through and you're like, well, Maybe Carolina's not very confident. And I, and I thought, well, you know, Tennessee game, confidence helped Tennessee. But, you know, you're coming off a big win over Auburn where your defense made a ton of big plays. you never beaten Auburn. Everybody's fired up and half. I mean, you should have been confident as all get out going into Baton Rouge. Maybe they were overconfident. Like, you know, that I mean, they hit in the mouth and we're like, oh, they shouldn't be this good. I can't imagine anybody was thinking LSU would be easy. So – you know, that, that, that's my that's my case there, you know, is that you, this is critical, the next three games. Um, the next five are super-duper important, but you you got to get to Georgia in good shape. You know, can't, I don't think you'd be sitting there at three and five, hoping to knock off the dogs and then go to Lexington on December and win. I, mean, I just, you know, I, I think that, you know, you got to be in good shape by the time you get to Georgia. So, so with that, you know, how can South Carolina be in good shape heading into the Georgia game? You know, we'll see kind of what happens and, and how they can do that uh, with this next segment, which is five, five on offense, five on defense. I think with special teams, obviously, <laughs> you got to cover, you know, better on kicks, kickoff better. Uh, and also, uh, you know, remain consistent when you're talking about the daggum um, punting team. And then take advantage of what opportunities you get. I, I don't I don't know that very many teams are getting kickoff return opportunities, which, you know, I think it's a good thing. Parker White's going to kick off. Just kick it through the end zone. That's fine. You know, live with that. Don't don't give up another big return. That That's just maddening. And that really – sapped all the momentum out of any momentum Carolina could have possibly had uh, on Saturday. It was huge. And they missed two open tackles. It was bad, bad play, bad football play. So here's five keys, offense and defense, that I'm going to get to the mailbag and then wish you guys a great weekend. Um, offense, and, and the first number one, I think, is you, you can call me Captain Obvious. You, you've seen those commercials, uh, you know, with Captain Obvious, I think. And it's either Hotwire or Priceline. Whatever, I hate that guy. I mean, I you know, there's some – like, you remember the guy that uh, – the Dr. Pepper college football guy, those commercials those, com those commercials were awful. Um, 
you know, I can't believe they had something like that on for that many years. Uh, and, and, and like the King from Burger King, you know, you, you don't see him all the time. They're very selective. But anyway, I digress. Uh, but this is a Captain Obvious statement. And, and, and I, I, I picture Captain Obvious being just like a, you know, not looking like that guy, kind of like a, just a normal captain, you know, with a gray beard, you know, captain, like the captain from Titanic. That's Captain Obvious because he's, you know, you walk by, you see that dude in the mall, you look at his sea beard, you're like, that dude's probably a captain. So to me, obviously, that would be Captain Obvious. But I digressed again. So number one, this is a Captain Obvious answer. Another passing game threat. So who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? I'm not convinced Xavier Leggett's healthy right now. And I remember he got banged up in a game, a couple of Vanderbilt game, maybe. So is it going to be him? Is he? Was it just kind of a nagging thing where he gets better and comes back? Um, is it going to be Jalen Brooks? I'll say this. Jalen had a tough outing. He did draw a good P.I. Uh, everybody's going to remember him getting jammed on the pick six, though. I mean, that's just how it goes. And, and I, I, I warned people slightly about this. I was like, I don't know that you can sit there and put say, well, he's going to have a breakout game against LSU on Saturday night when you when you just got cleared. But he's got talent, and so – you know, yeah, maybe he's a guy that can go do it. He didn't do it Saturday, but I, I'm not going to throw dirt on him yet. I'm going to give him a few games, see what he can do. Uh, so is like is Leggett healthy? That's the question. Um, is he just not getting it done? That could be another question. You know, Jalen Brooks. You know what? You know when he settles in, how good is he going to be? Because uh, I, I think with Jalen, he probably just needs a few catches. You know. Um, let's say that PI hadn't happened, he'd have been open and scored. I mean, that 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 does it's confidence, you know. So speaking of confidence, I think Kevion Mullins, obviously, with the two catches he made, uh got some confidence over hundred yards receiving. I, you know, I was on the locked on the game cops podcast with Keith yesterday, kind of returning the favor. And he was talking about how, you know, he had heard word around the campfire was they're gonna use him kind of more as a true receiver. I think that's a good idea if you think back to 2016 you know when jake took over and they started throwing it more um you know you had edwards you had debo but you know you kind of rotated casey crosby as that third option who was technically a tight end uh, along with you know bringing in chavis dawkins or, or whoever else um as the when you need an actual receiver so you know, and then they threw it to Hurst. So I, I think I think maybe something like that could work. Uh, here's the fly in that ointment: <laughs> is that you know he pulled up on his long pass. He need you know don't he probably never needs to. Bobby Bentley's probably gonna get mad at him for carrying the ball with one hand. Uh, pulled up and and had a little injury. So so hopefully he'll be okay. We just don't, we don't, we won't know, you know, moving forward. But because um, he's a lot faster than, than you know, and, and I don't remember exactly what player it was from LSU that ran him down. It may have been a guy that's just as fast, but obviously something happened. He's a lot faster than maybe he looked running the ball. Uh, you know, if you look at the clock and things like that. So, so maybe he's a guy that, 
they just play at receiver and maybe that's an answer. I mean, he is big. <laughs> uh, he's a bigger guy, but you know, if that's what you got, that's what you got. And if he can make plays, he can make plays. So is it Mullins? I mean, I don't know what's happened to Rico powers. Maybe he's not ready. Uh, obviously they're looking at Doty at quarterback more than receiver now. And, and I think we can all agree that that's, um, that's what's going to happen with Luke Doty this year. They're just going to get him ready at quarterback. Um, and I think I think we'll see more. You know, I thought I thought it was big that Doty had that nice run. I wish he'd have scored. Uh, that would have been big for his confidence. But he, it was a nice little run up the sidelines. That kid can move. Got some wheels. Um, number two on offense, Colin Hill's internal clock. I just wrote that down. Um, we talked about this on with Keith uh, earlier this week. The there's something off there, and it's really been going on, you know, a little bit against Vandy. I noticed it against Auburn, maybe, you know, 20, 30% of the time. And then against LSU, it was a, it was a big red flag. I mean, you know, Colin knows the offense. He knows where to go with the ball. Um, those of you, he, I think he did – on the pick six, finally stare down a receiver. And those of you that say stares down his receivers all the time, well, that's what happens when you stare down a receiver. He's usually picked and going the other way. Um, I, I think that the first two games of the season, he seemed to be feeling it a little more, more confident back there, you know, in terms of making, being decisive, getting it out. I, I don't, you know, I, I just think that he needs to go back to how he's playing against Tennessee and Florida. Uh, in my opinion, maybe a little bit of Vandy. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, you know, made some some nice throws and stuff like that in the last two games. But I, I think his internal clock, there's something off with it. And I, I don't know whether that may be the change at left tackle. Uh, you know, maybe the maybe he, he he's feeling pressure that's not there. That happens to quarterbacks sometimes. But – you know that that the timing of everything internally with quarterbacks is huge, and he's got to got to do that because he's making good decisions, doing right reads. Some of these beautiful run plays you see, people don't understand. That's Colin Hill getting him into that play. You know, you, you wouldn't have that. You know, otherwise. But I do believe that you know he's got to. You know, his, his internal clock has to get better. Um, number three, keep running it. Uh, I think South Carolina's run game is best it's been since 2014, and it may be a little better than that. Beyond, you know, I, I think Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenway, here's how I kind of pictured it going with those guys. You know, they'd scratch out 60, 50, 60 yards apiece uh, and then kind of keep the seat warm as the Quandre White would eventually kind of take over for them. But, you know, White's not doing anything wrong. He's playing well and practicing well. But these two guys, I mean – you're not going to take them out when they're averaging six, seven yards of carry and Kevin Harris is <laughs> tops in the SEC and rushing. And it's not just that Kevin Harris is this bowling ball type of back either. You know, he's taking it around the edge. If he gets a crease, he's gone. Gone. I, I didn't see that coming, folks. I mean, I, I heard about the four or five in camp, and I thought, oh, that's all well and good. I didn't know he could do that. You know, if you think about it, he – you know, if the 90-yarder against Auburn hadn't been called back, he, he's had an 88-yard rush for a touchdown, a 90-yard rush for a touchdown, a 45-yard rush for a touchdown the last three weeks. I can't remember, you know, 
a back god how far would you have to go back i mean you know mike davis could do that sometimes you know marcus all obviously got a bunch of big chunk plays a lot but man that's impressive and then then fenwick who deshaun fenwick if you just i'd love to see a stat on this if you're just talking about opportunities like you know per carry in a career you know, he's probably up there with yards per carry career-wise. He may not have enough carries, but, you know, when you add the game against Chattanooga as a freshman where he went over 100, and then as a as a redshirt freshman, uh, he goes against Vandy and it rushes for over 100. And then every time he's played this year, he gets like six, seven yards of carry. The guy's really good back. And those two guys can catch the ball too. So keep running it, keep the run game going. Uh, I think that, you know, people, people, it's fair to ask, you know, I mean, they only threw it 22 times against LSU, but uh, I think it's fair to ask maybe, you know, a little bit why they didn't keep running it more against the Tigers. Uh, But, you know, when you're behind like that, you can't just sit there and run the ball, you know, unless, you know, you know, at some point their offense is going to stall, and, and and you know, it's like Florida back in 2018 against the Gamecocks, and you just know they can't stop it. But um, you know, keep running the football. I, I think, I, and I think that's going to be the single most important thing the offense can do in terms of playing winning football is keep running it like they're doing. Because you know, look, Hill will get his internal clock fixed. I mean, I, I you know, he. He won't be playing very much longer if he doesn't, and 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 that's going to open up a whole different set of problems because, like I said, he's the one getting them into the run play, you know. But you can't just sit there and and have that be a liability. Uh, but I, I, you know, he does give them the best chance to win. Obviously, right now, uh, hopefully, he snaps out of it. It would make my life a lot better because. You know, people think I'm this big Colin Hill homer. No, I'm just reporting what's truthful out of the football program. And then there's a lot of BS, you know, from maybe pers- people that watched one practice, people that just make stuff up, people that may, you know, contact players on Facebook and, and try to get their take on it. And then the player may not even know. Never use players as sources. That's not good. But, uh, you know, that's the thing. Keep running it. Uh, offensive tackles, turning time, Dylan Wanham. I'm probably going to put them in the hot spot. Well, let's put them in the hot spot for the off week, okay? They, they just have to be better in pass pro. I mean, and they're they they they're good. They're really good, especially run blocking. But, but you know, you got a quarterback you have to protect. You have to let things develop. You know, pe- people talk about throwing it down the field. Well, well sometimes, you you know, the, that those plays take a while to develop. If you don't have the protection on the edges – it's not going to work. It takes time. Um, so they got to get a little better in pass pro. And I think they're capable of doing it. I mean, you look at turning time, run around, my God. Guy like that can move his feet like that. I mean, that, that may end up being one of the best evaluations. And Eric Wolford's had a lot of good ones. That may be one of the best evaluations uh, ever. <laughs> now, that's an opinion, and, and 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 he's not there yet. But that that guy that guy's got the tools to do it, and Dylan Wanham especially. Uh, and then stay on the field. You know LSU, 
you know, the problem against LSU is the defense couldn't get off the field. Uh, and I think South Carolina has been doing a great job of staying on the field this year. You want to, you want to see what staying on the field can do for you. Look at the Missouri Kentucky game last weekend, Missouri's on the field for 43 minutes, Kentucky threw for 38 yards. You know, you got to get off the field. You got to stay on the field. South Carolina is going to do be at its best when they stay on the field, sustain drives, keep the defense on the sidelines uh, keep the opposing offense on the sidelines. And, and that's especially true against, you know, teams that can score on you. And Missouri, even though they only won 20 to 10, they can score. You know, keep keep Connor Bezalek over there, keep Kellen Mond over there, keep Matt Corral over there. Um, and you do that by staying on the field. So that's offense. I may have missed something. But, you know, obviously, and again, Captain Obvious, the, the the first thing is finding another passing game threat besides Shai Smith. You know, you, you got to have a guy step up. It's, if it's Mullins, fine. I hope he's healthy. It's Jalen Brooks, great. If it's all three of them, great. But they have to get more production there. I mean, it's just it, it's just so limiting, you know. And, and then the internal clock with Colin Hill is another concern because even if you have guys getting open, you know, if your clock's not there and you're caddy, y'all caddy wampus with the offense, that's not going to work either. So those are really the two most important keys for the offense as we head into the second half. Defense, number one, get tougher. And I'm not saying these guys aren't tough guys because I think Carolina's got a lot of tough guys. You know, I think collectively as a unit, you got to get tougher. You know, you look back to – I'll use the 2016 Carolina defense, which was not the most skilled defense – in the history of, of Carolina football. In fact, I'd say this year's defense is much more skilled. But, you know, those guys, they battle. You know, East Carolina came in one day, <laughs> and uh, I think they had the ball for 40 minutes or whatever, kept first down after first down. But those guys didn't, you know, you know, Carolina did not break. They bent a lot. They did not break. They force a turnover or, or hold them on downs, force a field goal, whatever. You know, you got to have that. And, you know, you got to, when things start getting out, you know, not going your way, you got you, you to be tougher and, and respond. You know, I, one of my keys to the game last weekend was take the haymaker. Uh, and defensively, Carolina took the haymaker and just kept taking them. They're on the ropes. It was like a Tyson fight from the, from the 80s. I mean, you know, get tougher. Get tougher. Get more resilient. You know, bad things are going to happen. There's a lot of points being scored in this league. But you can't just roll over like you did in that one. Uh, and really, quite frankly, in the Florida game, this kind of, kind of happened too. And then at the end, they got, you know, they kind of got some stops and were feeling good about themselves. You know, Tennessee game was all like about the moment. So in the three losses this year, the defense just has not has, has not met the moment. And against LSU, there was no moment to be met because there was just they just got you know punched in the mouth. And that leads me to my second point: consistency. They have to be more consistent. You know, if you're if you're going to go out there and say, okay, here's what we're going to do on defense. You know, this is going to be the type of defense that's going to take place you know, go do it, you know, and you're, you're consistent and you kind of know what you're going to get. It makes it a lot easier on offense to kind of script plays and, and understand kind of what you're getting and, you know, maybe stay on the field a little more and all that, that they need to be more consistent because 
you know, I think uh, you, know, you have the Auburn game where you gave up a lot of yards, but you played sort of a, you know, turnover ball game. Uh, you know, I, I think in your three losses, it's it's been inconsistent. I mean, how against Tennessee does Tennessee line up in the eye the first drive of the second half and run it up your butt? And then for the rest of the game, you hold them to like, what, under three yards of carry. How do you do that? You know, consistency. Uh, optimize the personnel. I've said some stuff this week about who I would, what I would do. That's just me. Probably ain't going to happen. But, you know, I, I, I think back to certain coaches around, you know, South Carolina and elsewhere that, you know, if, if you know, the, the thing to do when an, a unit is not performing is to make changes and to see if you can find guys out there that could blend and gel and, and make it happen. And, and, you know, maybe guys aren't practicing this, but, you know, I, I think performance in the game is important and, and maybe it's time to give some other guys a shot, you know, just to see what happens in the actual game. Uh, I don't want to tell anybody how to do their job. They make plenty of money <laughs> to do it, but you know, there's just certain things out there, and I think some of them will happen. Like, like Jamar Brown, I think you could you could probably pencil Jamar Brown in. Um, Jalen Dickerson, to me, needs to be playing a lot more. He and Shiloh Sanders, you know, I think you probably pencil him. And 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 I, and I want to be clear, Jalen over Shiloh, Jalen over Shiloh. Shiloh's playing well, better than we thought, you know. But to me, Dickerson per snap, and it may be they're trying to limit his snaps. Whatever, that's fine. But he needs to be out there. R.J. Roderick's struggling, okay? And nothing against R.J. I think they can find a different role for him, quite frankly. But optimize your personnel. Mix it up. Can't just stay in the same defense. And, and I don't think they do because they have different calls and things like that. But, you know, maybe – maybe. heck, the other night, I was just – on a passing, I just sent the house. <laughs> I don't, You know, just sent the house. Because, I, mean, I mean, you can't get any worse. They're either going to score a touchdown, give it back to your offense, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd like to see them mix it up a little more defensively with various packages and stuff. And number five, turnovers work. I think that's the the one thing during the Will Muschamp era we could probably count on, with the exception of the 2016 Florida game, where I think the game cost got four, four turnovers and only managed seven points. That was one of the worst game plans Kurt Roper ever had. His, his he was just going to run it up the middle of the whole game, and then they weren't able to run. And then that offensive line didn't hold up against the Gators. But turnovers work, and so keep trying to force those turnovers. All right, so time for the mailbag Friday mailbag again. There's two ways to get into the mailbag. You can, and no, I didn't say anything about TID today. Uh, it looks like he's probably going to Georgia. If he doesn't, maybe I will. Um, maybe I will go and uh, do an emergency pod. It'll probably be worth it. So, two ways to get to the podcast. Number one, or I'm sorry, the mailbag for the podcast. Number one, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, and uh, several of you have done that. Follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter, by the way. Also on Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks. The Instagram's kind of still under construction, but occasionally you can do that. And hopefully some of you will follow that so then you know, I can have some motivation. But anyway, uh, so the first one comes in from Raymond Finkel. 
One mark of a great coach, he says, is that he maximizes the talent and achieves better results than you'd expect. Must champs teams seem to suffer from the opposite effect. At times, both sides of the ball have been really good individual players and yet still underperform. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and I think there's been a change. I think that I go back to that Florida game in 2018. Up until that moment, think about it. When South Carolina's sitting there up 31-14 in the swamp, okay? Think about the moment, the, the Muschamp's first game until that point. Think about the moment. All right, so until then, until Florida came back and won, under any metric, South Carolina had overachieved under Will Muschamp. Yeah, there were some disappointing games. 2017 Kentucky comes to mind. The, the final score of the Georgia game in 2018 comes to mind. But until you know, but they they'd gotten up off the mat, beaten Ole Miss, beat Tennessee. You know, they weren't losing to Tennessee or Missouri. You know, kind of kept that going. They're still beating Vanderbilt. Um, and then it it, it reversed, and you know. Uh, <laughs> I go back and and I don't like to do this because it's kind of I've always said it was irrelevant what he did in Florida compared to South Carolina. I still think it is, but if you think about it, Will Muschamp started twenty two and eight at Florida, uh, or twenty two and nine. I'm sorry, twenty two and nine at the University of Florida. <laughs> Third year he's sitting at four and one, lost seven in a row. Bottom fell out, and, and, and then. At Florida, though, year four, he rebounded. You know, they came back. So, uh, and then it, it wasn't enough, though. He got fired. But, you know, Will Muschamp was sitting at 22 and nine, finished six and 12 for 28 and 21 record. And, you know, it, it, things kind of happened where they would just lose games. The losses piled up. So, um, I, I think that's the deal. And so you got to ask yourself, what the heck's happening? I mean, what happened? I know last year Jake Bentley got hurt, but you can't hang out all on that. I mean, that, then why? Then why was the defense sketchy? And and you know why? You know you, you're supposed to be able in the fourth year of a tenure to withstand that. You know, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the thing, and I agree. That's the mark of a great coach. You maximize talent, better results than you expect. I think that's what you need at South Carolina because, you know, like Steve Spurrier used to say, you know, Carolina doesn't need to recruit, probably is never going to recruit rankings-wise on the level of some of these other schools, but they need to they need to get close. So, all right, Heath tweets in, hey, JC, I agree about the defensive changes you talked about in the pod. I know Muschamp is a player's coach. Do you think that keeps him from making changes like, benching McQuamu, playing Kier Thomas more, playing the younger players more. No, I don't. I, I think I think it's a practice thing. I think he's and he says this. He said he's old school. You play like you practice, you know. So if you practice well, that's it. But but I think, you know, at some point when it's just not working on game day, you, you got to do something different. I'm a believer. I'm a believer in both of those things. You know, I I'm a believer in yeah, yeah, you play like you practice. If you're not practicing well, you know, you're probably not going to play. But I also believe in, hey, look, sometimes you just got to make some changes and see what happens. 
<laughs> when it's just clearly not working. Now, hopefully, oh, by the way, it was Henry Winkler's birthday today. The Fawn. Happy birthday to the Fawns, Henry Winkler. Um, I also think this, uh, you know, looking at it, I, I believe that, you know, the things I say maybe aren't necessarily the right moves. You know, that's just my stupid opinion, you know, uh, as a guy that sometimes has evaluated talent. Well, you know, I'm not out there. I'm not at practice. I don't know what, I don't know their schemes, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I am a believer in, if, if, you know, sometimes you got to see what's happening. And, and, and I also don't think either, and this is the point I was trying to get to before Henry Winkler's birthday distracted me that, that there's any reason at all or any excuse at all for another defensive performance like we saw against LSU last Saturday night. No excuse. Zero. And so, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen again. But if it keeps happening, yeah, you're absolutely right. you got to make changes. can't just do the same thing over and over. Um, and I do think to a certain extent if you're LSU, and, and Will Muschamp even said this, so – well, they're big on the offensive line. They moved us up front. Well, when you have a 235-pound DN and a 270-pound deep tackle, that's going to happen. I don't care how tough those guys are, you know. So I don't know that that keeps him from making changes. I, I do think, you know, I, I do think it's more of a play-like-you-practice kind of deal. All right, Ray has another one. Ray's tweeted twice. Talking about Patrick Ariel, this is basketball, the, the forward that's withdrawn from the school. He says, supposed to be the more advanced of two recruits in the past class. Many fans who pointed out the class was underwhelming were told it filled needs. Well, fingers crossed this doesn't end up another lost class, which South Carolina has to too many of. I don't know how you can intellectually say that when you look at the roster this year. And I agree there were some classes that were lost that maybe caused the Gamecocks to – B 17 and 16 or 16 and 16. But, you know, let's kind of look and see what they've got. You know, it did fill needs because they need to kind of, you know, they needed a, I mean, and Patrick Ariel's a big that can shoot. So everybody needs a guy like that. Uh, and I don't know that he's not coming back, but I, I, I don't think he was going to play a ton this year because you got Alonzo Frank, Alonzo Frank. Uh, you got Jalen McCreary, and you got Wildens Levesque. That's a pretty stellar group there. And then that's not to mention that Manaya and Bryant can also play the four. So there, there's nothing, you know, Patrick Ariel's probably not going to play a whole lot this year. So, you know, I, I think – and look, Ray, I've read your post and tweets for a while. I know you don't like Frank Martin. I'm sorry. Live with it. You know, you complain about him – over and over and over again on Twitter. And, and look, I'm not I'm, – please continue to tweet at me and, and tweet that. But you're wrong like 90% of the time. And and I don't know whether it's a – because Frank Martin, you don't like his personality. Um, you know, and, and I agree that when you're talking about the on-court performance, losing games against teams you should not lose to is unacceptable. And I think Frank Martin would tell you that, and that cannot continue. Um, so if it's about that, I get it. But it's just like, you know, Patrick, I, I mean, this means nothing in terms of the, you know, the the prospects this year. And, 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 you know, Carolina needs to get to the NCAA tournament this year. 
you know, and they've got a roster to do it this year. And you're sitting there talking about lost classes. Um, and here's another piece of info for you. College basketball is not like college football where a lost class can really screw your program up because of depth and everything like that. College basketball, especially now with this new transfer rule, it's about to be a yearly thing. You know, you're going to have a different roster every single year. So, so get used to it. And a new coach is not going to do it any different. So I appreciate the tweet, but you know, I just, I think you need to back off of Frank Martin uh, big time. Wayne says, why was Jorge Masaval at South Carolina connection to Frank Martin? I think so, because uh, he, he's from Miami and Frank's from Miami. So I, I think that's the connection there. I don't have any inside information on it, just what I've read. And so he went, and you know, but they're both Miami guys. So that's, uh, that's probably why he was there. All right. And look, Ray, back to Ray. I, I'm not trying to get after you here, but I just uh, – I think you need to kind of back off of Frank – uh, and, and, and I appreciate the tweet because that helps me understand, you know, it helps me help you understand that this is not something that everybody needs to panic about. But I notice you panic about every little negative thing that comes up with the basketball program. So relax, buddy. It's going to be a good year, hopefully. All right. Lots of emails. Wow. <laughs> Inside the game, guys, at gmail.com. Dale says, first off, I emailed to the wrong email address. If you don't get this on the podcast but can respond via email, I would appreciate it. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. It was suggested by another Gamecock fan who told me best information. You have to listen to this guy. Boy, he was right. Thank you, Dale. I appreciate that. All right. So, number one, he says, why with us being down three scores and just outside the red zone in the first half will we go for a field goal and not the touchdown? Um. So, so – I'm going for the touchdown in that situation because, you know, you've got enough time and you, all that second half, you know, um, and you need a touchdown. It's kind of like that Alabama game in 2019, you know, probably would have done that. Um, but they were far away, and so maybe they felt like 31-13, you know, you come back 31-20, Come back, get a two-point conversion, 31-28, then you're within three. That's the only thing I can think of because being down 18 doesn't really help. You know, it's the same as being down 21. So so that's my only way I, in that scenario I can wrap my brain around it because it really doesn't help you, you know. Uh, maybe, maybe you're thinking – 31, 13, 31, 16, then you're down 50. I don't know. You know, the math there, I would have gone for it. Two, Colin Hill seemed to be having a difficult night. Uh, why would we not try putting Doty or even Joiner at quarterback? They're much more mobile and can escape the pass rush. Well, Doty can't run the offense and Joiner's just not an option. Now, what I will say is, to your point, you could have made a, a a really good case for, you know, when they ran Doty out there that one time he did the quarterback sweep, you could maybe make a good case for that, you know, to, to do some plays like that with him, settle Colin Hill in a little bit. Three, lastly, I was a little concerned going to this game as I felt like last week's win against Auburn felt like Georgia's win, the win over against Georgia. 
Yeah, I mean, as far as the setup goes, it did. But, you know, heck, Carolina played a hell of a lot better against Florida after the Georgia game last year. Uh, and it was, it was just enough to get our hopes up as fans to come crashing down. We got smacked around by an LSU team that had the worst-rated defense with starting a freshman quarterback. Not to take away from T.J. Finley as he played a great game. And I think T.J. Finley's going to be a good one. Um, obviously, they play Auburn this weekend. That's going to be an interesting game. That's a 3.30 game on CBS. Uh, T.J. Finley and LSU go to Auburn. Uh, but we just couldn't seem to get to him enough to cause him to make mistakes. Now, they're an air raid offense, though. So you probably weren't going to get to him. But, that there, you know, look around the league uh, and get the Mississippi State tape, okay, for, from their last, what, three games. And that's how you play defense against a team like that. But you also have to stop the run, and, and Carolina made their running backs look like, you know, I mean, they rushed for 256 yards. So, you know, I don't know what the answer was there. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that, you know, and, and Orgeron even said he was surprised they didn't blitz a little more, but I think that's what they were expecting, and they had some easy stuff for him dialed up. And I think this weekend against Auburn, they'll have the same thing. And I think you may see LSU run it pretty well against Auburn this weekend. I know if LSU went to Auburn and played really well, you know, against them, it, it, I, I don't know. Would that make you guys feel better? Um, because you beat Auburn. Um, I don't know. I don't know who you'd be pulling for in that game, but it's going to be. I'm I'm interested to see how they play each other. But thanks, Dale. Please keep listening, and I certainly appreciate it. Mark says apathy. Mark emails in again. I was personally in the swamp in 2018 and observed what I felt was one of the bigger turning points in Muschamp's coaching career. That same turning point changed the arc of Mullins' Florida career. Since then, Carolina's had the Belt Bowl debacle, the UNC game debacle, 2019, and what happened on Saturday. I never thought I'd get to apathy. Please talk me off the Gamecock football ledge. Can't even go to the message boards right now. Maybe it's a me problem, but I need more hobbies. You know, it's funny because, like, because sports and the Gamecocks are my job, I've got politics are my hobby. And, and I'll, just, I'll just tell you that, like, hobbies – can be more ridiculous than than than, than jobs sometimes. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about going and getting a woodworking, taking a woodworking class or something. But yeah, like I said earlier, uh, I went into this, so it's it's good that you emailed it. That was the turning point, man. Up until that point, I, I think Bill Muschamp was on his way and overachieving at South Carolina. And, and I think that we probably all didn't realize it because. You know, they bounced back, they beat Chattanooga, and then that Clemson game up in Death Valley was kind of fool's gold because all of a sudden everybody's like, well, the offense has arrived and the defense, you know, is playing – you know, they're out there playing walk-on. So once they get healthy, you know, everybody should be rocking and rolling, you know. Uh, and that was kind of fool's gold because then the second half of Akron and the Virginia game happened. And then a long summer. And then the worst possible scenario with North Carolina, just the worst possible. You know, I, you go back to that game, Carolina's up 20 to nine in the third quarter. I mean, you, you know, J.C. Horn gets the pick six or whatever. Carolina wins that game. You know, there is no last play for Jake Bentley to get hurt. Think about that. That, that the, you know, the Florida game was kind of the beginning of the downward spiral, but 
that one against North Carolina caused the elevator to drop, you know, because then, you know, you come back, you beat Charleston Southern, you're two and zero. you know, the game against Alabama, although Bama won was kind of another fool's gold game, but this time with Ryan Helensky, kind of like that Clemson game. But if Jake Bentley starts it, you know, it's probably the same outcome just to be honest, because Alabama, nobody was stopping Alabama that day, but people are still kind of feeling good. You know, then you move on. I don't know that you have the issues at Missouri, blah, blah, blah. So that, that North Carolina game was just catastrophically costly. But you're right. I, I've talked about that Florida game a lot. That was kind of the start of the, the decline. Spence says, hey, brother, join the podcast. A few questions for you. Number one, I know you're riding or dying with Hill. I'm not, uh, I'm not riding or dying with Hill. In fact, I've said – you know, if they get to two and five, I can make a case for, uh, you know, to try to go play Doty and get some some dynamic running ability back there. Disagree with the assessment. He's got a Sunday arm. Well, I disagree. I'm not there every day and don't see his throws. Yeah, see, that's all coming from practice. The Sunday arm, must champ said it, blah, blah, blah. I'll give you that. I'll also give you another plus for checking into some good runs, but I can point to two or three times he checks into a quarterback draw and it goes nowhere. That's sort of an option play. If I were him, I'd probably only run that every now and then. (laughs) Like once out of every five games, okay? On the flip side, I don't see other redeeming qualities at that point being a Sunday quarterback aside from being 6'5". Well, we'll see. Um, Again, I'd like to see what he can do with more receivers, to be honest. And, And there's tape on him where he has more receivers at Colorado State. What I see is a guy that stares down receivers. Again, he does not stare down receivers. Uh, Otherwise, the pick six where he did stare down the receiver would happen over and over again. Doesn't work through progressions. I don't agree there. Is very cautious and limited in creativity with his throws. Okay, I'm going to throw out the last part of what you said. Creativity in his throws. Create – I don't even know what that is. But – um. It may be if you're talking about – I don't know what you're – I don't know what the hell being creative in your throat. Are you talking about side-arming it or, or I don't know? It's very cautious, though. That's the internal clock thing. So I agree with you there. In the last two games, it's been a concern. Is a statue, zero escapability. We knew that. No pocket awareness. That's not true. Internal clock. Uh, is an issue that needs to be fixed. Can't take the top off of defense. That's for a receiver, Spence, not a quarterback. Uh, and they need a receiver that can take the top off of the defense. I don't. I haven't even seen that they've tried. Some of these things are not totally fun, but, man, I'm not seeing an average SEC quarterback. LSU did not punt. Why are we talking about the quarterback? You know, I know Colin Hill didn't play well, but LSU didn't punt. I mean, I'd take Garantano over this fella. Come on, let's get real, man. The fact he's our best option, and you said it on Wednesday, Helensky isn't ready, is an absolute indictment of how far in the crapper this program is. We're in the abyss. No, you're not. The abyss is like stringing down one and nines, back to back to back. There's no hope. Carolina's two and three. Now, they're in the wilderness, and things have to change, and things are unacceptable relative to the minimum standards of the program. I agree with that. People should be mad. But the abyss is one in 24 from 97 to 99. It feels like the abyss because this is the worst period they've had since then. And that was 23 years ago. So I get it. 
but they're not in the abyss, not even close. I mean, look, let's say Muschamp goes three and seven and they make a change. The new guy I expect will come in barring now there's a caveat here because of that new transfer rule. Okay. So barring something like half the players leaving, which, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, like something's happened like at Mississippi State. I think the new guy will come in here and win without question. And, and, and that's in my scenario, laden brain, uh, true of, with about five coaches. Now I hope Will Muschamp starts winning and then nobody, you know, you don't get to talk, you, know, you don't have to talk about this every year. I talked about the pressure every single game. The only way to change that is to, to do something cool, you know, and, and doing something cool is, is definitely winning games like Georgia and, and Auburn, but also keeping the good feelings going for a while, man. And you get smacked right back down. Two, can you point to another Power 5 head coach that has eight and a half years of coaching experience and still gets this level of support? I mean, we know what we have with Muschamp, and no matter how much we all wish to think it would be different, it won't. Any other coaching examples come to mind? Well, like I said, I don't think it's fair, you know, to 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 hang Florida around his neck. I know some of you do. Um, but that that was always going to matter. I mean, what you do is, like I said, up until the the Dagum UF, I mean, you know, he wins that game in 2018. Even if Florida comes back and it's not a blowout, he wins that game. You know, South Carolina is looking at another probably eight-win season. They're not in the Belt Bowl where nobody's interested. They're probably in the Gator Bowl. Probably have a better shot at winning because people are more fired up about it. Um, they win eight again. They're all of a sudden two and one against Florida and three and zero oh against Tennessee as a staff. Three and zero oh against Missouri as a staff. Eight and one. You know, basically what you're looking at there is the next year. You know, I think, you know, of course, we all hope the North Carolina debacle wouldn't have happened. But I don't think Muschamp has very much support. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this is a year that while some are going to sit there and point to the pandemic and COVID and all that, you know, he, he needs to get to a bowl. Now, now let's say he goes four and six because there's a lot of – SEC teams right now that are sitting at two and three. Okay. So he goes four and six, gets to a bowl. I can respect that. Bring him back. It's a pandemic year. Everybody red shirts. Bobo needs more weapons, you know, but you also, man, you, you, you also got to get better on defense and that's supposed to be your specialty. So, you know, you have to know everybody, everybody affiliated with that program knows South Carolina to be scoring the points they are is a minor miracle. You know, they don't have the offense that can go up and down the field and not score people. You know, if Mike Bobo had Debo Samuel and Hayden Hurst and Brian Edwards and Shai Smith and even Chavis Dawkins and, you know, Kyle Markway and Dan August and Nick Mute. I mean, if you know, had some of these guys that have come through the program the last few years and put them with the backs. Um, and by the way, the best thing the backs are doing too right now is they're staying healthy. I mean, you know, if you think about that, you don't – Harris and Fenwick, knock on wood, have been fine. Um, you know, you combine all those guys with what Bobo's doing. Yeah, man, you can go in there and outscore LSU. You're not going to outscore them. You're not going to outscore anybody. You got to stay on the field. Stay on the field, sustain drive, score points. 
So, Spence, even though I disagree with like 90% of what you said about Colin Hill, and I don't think that's the problem, we'll see. So, Holder uh, says, hey, if at the end of the year Carolina decides to go with a new coaching staff, who would be some of the possible candidates? I don't want to get into that right now. Um, I think there's some tears, uh, and, and I'll say this, and, and I don't please, I want to say this very bluntly. This is not any kind of indication of anybody being interested in the job. You know, Adam Rittenberg had a coaching carousel article on ESPN the other day. He mentioned Hugh Freeze. I hadn't even thought about Hugh Freeze, to be honest. Uh, he also mentioned Billy Napier, who I believe does want the job. Uh, you know, I think Shane Beamer with his plan would be a good candidate. I know that's going to be a tough sell for some of you. Uh, you know, and, and even a guy – you know, guys like Bob Stoops and Mike Gundy. Uh, Stoops is obviously out of coaching right now. Um, Gundy is a guy that, in my opinion, when you look at the situation in Oklahoma State, could could be ready for a move. Maybe he waits another year and finally takes Tennessee if things don't work out with Pruitt, though. Um, now, that's not a hot list. That's not a hot board. You know, the only thing I know from what I told you is that Beamer and Napier would be interested in the job, and that's it. But I'll get into all that if and when it's clear that a change needs to be made. James says, Muschamp the scam artist. I've heard Muschamp spin this narrative that the defense has to force turnovers and said that's how we went around here after the first season mirage. It was actually the second season, but but they forced some in the first season too. Clearly he doesn't understand analytics. Turnovers are the most unpredictable variables when you look at college football analytics. The Auburn game is a perfect example. Every defense wants to force turnovers, but you can't hang your hat on it. It's not sustainable long-term path to success. Um, your thoughts on how much he uses key analytical data? Well, I think he almost uses it too much, to be honest. I think some things are on gut feel. And sometimes decisions and stuff like that seem to be, you know, off the card or something. And, and quite frankly, I don't want to hear about turnovers anymore. Because if you get them, great. You're probably going to win. If you don't, that's fine. But you can't you can't just be sitting there. You can't try to strip the ball from somebody, let him break a tackle and run 70 yards. I don't remember when that happened. But, you know, I would much rather see, you know, a tackle being made to save a touchdown than somebody chopping at the ball unless, you get, unless you're on it and you get it off of it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can count on – turnovers anymore and you can count on the wind being blowing you know and 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 yeah he's right in the sense that that's how you win because that's how they have when they get turnovers you know they tend to win but you cannot you're right you're absolutely right you can't count on that and and that's just another must champ thing that he says I, he's not sitting there counting on it you know um he's not sitting there <laughs> you know oh well we either win, we're going to ride or die with turnovers. No, it's not, you know, not everybody's going to be as arrogant as Chad Morris and try to throw it at JC Horn. Good email, man. I think you've got some good points. Noah says, I think it's time to rebuild the identity of South Carolina football. The sport is changing and offense wins championships. I think hiring an offensive minded coach is the starting point to bring South Carolina back to relevance. How would you feel about hiring Shane Beamer? Keep up the great work and spurs up. Uh, I think Shane would be a good hire. Uh, I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me. It's really split if you look at kind of the reaction to his name 
with the fans. Some people were like in disbelief <laughs> that they would talk about hiring him. And then, you know, half the people are like, well, it'd be a great hire. Um, and I think those people are more like, you know, the people that are in disbelief, they won't, you know, they're, they, they, they get a little antsy, you know, in terms of the unknown, you know, they need a Steve Spurrier, Lou Holtz, Bob Stoops, Hugh Freeze type hire. Um, even a Scott Satterfield who would come from another power five that, that group that's like immediately dismissing Beamer. And, and I, I understand where they're coming from. I get it. You know, it's just kind of a worldview thing. You know, they're the ones that even if Napier, you know, who's a lot of people thinks one of the hottest young coaching candidates in the country, even Napier always just went one at Louisiana. They're the ones that, you know, think if you transfer in from a smaller school, you're not good, you know, all that they and, and and that's just a personality thing. It's just somebody that they want something certain, and it may not even be personality. It may just be that at this point in their mind, they got to have somebody certain because you know, like Spence said, you know, or somebody said earlier that Carolina's in the abyss. You know, if you think that, you know, you don't want to take any more chances. You need the home run, like the Lou Holtz when Lou Holtz came. That's the abyss, my friends. Carolina's not there yet and all that. But I, I think it would be good. As far as offense goes, again, South Carolina's never been good when they haven't had a good defense. But obviously, you could be good on both sides of the ball. Uh, and, and I mentioned like Hugh Freeze earlier. You know, Hugh Freeze is known was known at Ole Miss for scoring points going up and down the field. But he also brought a lot of really good defensive football players into there, and they played really good defense too. Um, and, and so that, that, that's kind of the, the type of guy. I think that you want uh, at South Carolina. And you know, I think Shane Beamer would be that type of guy, you know, knowing kind of what I know on that. But I also think there's a long list of other guys that could do it. And, and, and the sport is changing. You're absolutely right. I'm curious to see, Noah, what happens next year when um, it's not a pandemic here. Hopefully it won't be a pandemic here. Hell, who knows? Who knows? We may stuck with this thing for a while. Uh but when you have a full off season and all that, you know, is are all the points in the SEC a function of offensive talent and you know the the styles of practices that you do being favorable to the offense and not the defense? I mean, you know, why are all these teams scoring points? Why does it look like the Big Twelve all of a sudden? Um, and I, and I think you know, is this a one year thing? Uh, is this a trend? Is this because Alabama all of a sudden is playing ball like that so everybody else wants to? I don't know. So we'll see. I, I don't want it to be the Big 12, and I don't think it ever will be because the talent on defense is too good uh, across the league and then and, and the footprint. Um, but uh, it could be kind of like the NFL, you know. I mean, they still play defense up there, but they're scoring a lot more points, and it's a good brand of ball. I, I think – Something kind of like that could be happening. And in that case, offense, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right, Noah. All right, Philip says, JC, I want to wait a couple of emails before I, or days before I emailed in. Thank you, Phil. Sorry, I'm just now getting to this on Friday. I saw you said it Wednesday. Obviously, after the debacle of Death Valley, GameCap fans have been in complete uproar about this team. And after listening to all the podcast questions yesterday, you answered every question that was facing the team after the embarrassment. So I don't really have a question, just my opinion. Okay, reading Phillip's opinion here. 
I recently listened to an interview on another podcast with a former wide receiver during the Holtz era, and he made an excellent point that is stuck in the back of my mind and made similarities with his current team. The former receiver began to explain that in the transition from 0-21 to winning through the first game, the team went through a culture change. He explained that the team tried hard, practiced hard, and played hard, but just not successful in the field. He continued to say that Holtz told the team the reason you're missing assignments and making mental lapses is because you're not holding yourself accountable. And the reason you're not accountable is because you don't trust the man next to you. And the reason you don't trust the man next to you is because you don't know the man next to you. And once the team became a team, they bought in and started winning. JC, I'm sure you've heard all this before, but I found that story interesting considering I can't explain for the life of me the mental lapses and missed assignments that have plagued this team for years now. I'm not saying that this team is a bunch of eyes and, and no wees, but we should look at the culture of this. Starts with must jam, but the players need to be accountable for their mistakes. I apologize for the lengthy email. Your thoughts and thanks for all you do. Also, I enjoyed Keith on the pod the other day. Y'all did a great job of going through the game. Keep up the great work. I'm going to wear my South Carolina shirt while taking my kids trick or treating this Saturday. I saw that scary Halloween costume, SEC shorts, and <laughs> that was funny and true. Keith or, or Phil, everything you said here is completely accurate but not applicable to the current situation. And, and that's another thing that's so baffling. This team trusts each other. They're a very close group. Uh, you know, obviously during the pandemic, they spent a lot of time together. They have good leadership on the team from the players. Uh, uh, accountability is there, I think. I mean, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if it wasn't because, you know, you know, I, I, I talked to some people that would tell me otherwise. How about that? You know, because the one thing in this business you do is you get honesty from your sources that you've known. Uh, and, and if that if that were the issue there, you know, I I would be shocked, shocked. Now that Holtz group, that's exactly what the deal was. I mean, there were a lot of NFL guys on that team that went zero and eleven. Um. And, and, and he built that, and there was a culture change. But they're, they're, the culture of this program is good. It's really good. I mean, if a new guy comes in, like I said, that's why I'm confident he'll win. I mean, you know, Jim McElwain, who's not kind of a a builder of programs, or he, he's a lot attitude-wise like Steve Spurrier, recruiting on down. That's why they hired him at Florida. He won two straight division titles because of what Muschamp built. Uh, I think if anything, it may be that the guys try too hard and play tight. I noticed that, but maybe they 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 try too hard and play. Maybe almost get too fired up. I almost I almost I almost think Carolina's players and game day, you know, work hard during the week. Game day needs to be relaxing, like 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 what Spurries do. Shoot, guys, go on. Let's come come on, my man. All right, my man, ready to go. You know. So uh, that's my thing. So I, I don't disagree with anything you've written. I just don't think, you know, knowing what I know, I don't think it's an issue. All right, Cartwright, he says, JC, I was really surprised by you and Eric Kimmery's analysis of the game last Saturday. I told you in the last email, I put a lot of this, a lot of this on Collins' performance. I know you disagreed. You and Eric put most of this on our defense. Who didn't draw a punt all night? On one hand, I agree with you. But I can't help but feel like the game was similar to last season. The defense played poorly because they were gassed with how little the offense was on the field to give them rest. The defense 
didn't really play that badly until the second half when LSU's run game took off. Once the game was basically over, don't get me wrong. I was screaming at the defense all night. Not sure I did blame the defense on this one. I, I disagree. I, they didn't score. You know, they didn't punt. I mean, the defense, the first from the first drive on, they could not get off the field. Now, last year, there's some truth to what you were saying. Think about a game like the A&M game when it's 13-3 to late and, oh, well, they just got gassed. Now, did they get gassed? Yes, but that was probably more what LSU was doing. Um, you know, and, and you could tell they were going to throw by watching it before. they. That's not true. I mean, if you can tell that, Cartwright, great. But, I, you know, I, I, people say that when plays don't work out. Um. He says, I think it was more like Muschamp said, they got out coached. Yeah, especially defensively. Really seem like they have more talent than us. Yeah, not by that much, but they do. I'm guessing LSU takes off after the game, probably. If Collinwood made a few more games, this game would have looked a lot different. Completely disagree. This is not me saying Colin isn't any good. It's more like me saying had a bad game. Agree there. I have a sneaking suspicion he may look fantastic against the Aggies next week. Your thoughts? I hope so. Uh, you know, he was in the hot spot going in. Uh, I do think there are issues with his internal clock, which makes things look kind of cattywampus. Uh, so I hope so. And, and that's a key to victory against Texas A&M because if Colin Hill's internal clock's still off, you know, you're basically just limiting your entire offense to running the ball. And A&M is too good to just sit back and let you do that. Cartwright, I wasn't trying to get after you there. There's a lot of disagree with there uh, as far as the game goes. Josh emails in, hypothetical situation. Let's say you were Tanner. Would, who would you have hired to replace Spurrier and what record do you think they would have had this point compared to Muschamp? When it got down, I, I was a big Tom Herman guy. Uh, thought that was a good hire. Uh, I would have hired Will Muschamp, and I wrote about that because – Here's the thing, you know, you look at Florida, you talk to people from Florida, they were sorry to see him go, okay? Swamp Donkey walks in, wins the East with Muschamp's players. You're like, ah, if he'd have one more year, he'd have been there, the culture issue. Then you listen to the plan. Well, he's a defensive mastermind, okay? He can recruit really well, okay? This roster needs to be revamped. Then there's the promise of the offense. Remember the first press conference. And I got word on that before it even – so I wrote the article. It's going to run a high, hurry up, no huddle, high salute. You know, so I'm thinking it's going to kind of be like LSU, you know, in terms of what LSU's been needing. And, you know, because you, you kind of look at LSU, what have they been needing over the years? They, they've needed a modern offense. Same with Miami. Well, same with Will Muschamp in his career, you know. And for the lot, you know, so you look at it and you're like, all right, you know, and then first year they had to do what they had to do until Jake back got in. And then you're like, well, all right, here they go. They against teams that they could match up with on the O line. They did really well. And then, oh, here they go 35 against NC State. You know, so I go back in time and looking at the pool. I mean, I'm not hiring Willie Taggart and I wouldn't have hired him at the time. I'm not hiring Greg Schiano, although I think Greg Schiano is going to probably do a good job his second time at Rutgers. They beat Michigan State. 
You know, I'm not hiring Rich Rodriguez. Uh, I'm not hiring Troy Calhoun, although I think Calhoun's a pretty good coach. Um, And I'm probably not hiring Lincoln Riley at the time. And I'll say this, watching what Lincoln has done at Oklahoma in the run game, if I knew that then, maybe I would feel a little different. You know, but I was concerned about him being able to recruit, put together staff, and, and, and play defense. You know, and look at Mike Leach and his offense, you know, after the first game, which is sad for me to say. And I still think they'll make adjustments and figure it out. But in this league, you look at it. All right. They lit LSU up. All right. Barry Odom, who's been around the block or a time or two as a coordinator. Well, all right. We're just going to drop eight. <laughs> and everybody else is like, drop it eight. And then. Mississippi State can't score. Now, hopefully, hopefully the Bulldogs, uh, with their freshman quarterback, if, if they make that change and don't stick with the turnover machine, Costello. Um, Costello is like Pedro Serrano from Major League. You know, like against man coverage, he's just like, oh, wow. And it's like, well, now throw him a curveball. <laughs> oh, crap. But – um you know, that's kind of what I envisioned happening had Carolina gone to an air raid system with a first-time coach back in 2016. So I would have, you know, the pool the pool of coaches was not like it was now. Now, if it got too crazy beyond all – like I'd, I'd have hired Shane Beamer over all those guys I mentioned, Rich Rodriguez and the like. Now, was he ready for it at the time? I don't – probably not. I think being at Georgia and being at Virginia Tech is – Probably, or I'm sorry, being at Georgia and being in Oklahoma has probably helped him with that. Favorite line from the movie Space. Josh asked me, What's the favorite, my favorite line from the movie Spaceballs? It has to be, uh, I see your Schwartz is bigger than mine. Lone Star. Mike says, Last one. Hey, JC, love the pod. It keeps me connected to the Gamecocks that's moving out of state after graduations. Graduation, two questions. Number one, if Muschamp gets fired, do we risk star players transferring due to new rules and not having to sit out a year? What's your effective next year? You, you got there, – there's always that chance. But you, I don't think you can sit – it just it just depends on what happens for the rest of the year, okay? Because I, if you're sitting around at three and seven or, God forbid, two and eight, you know, who cares who leaves? I mean, you know, let them go. And, and I'll say this about Muschamp. He didn't, he didn't sit there and encourage his players to leave Florida when he got fired. He's not that type of guy, you know. Two, who would we have hired if Muschamp wasn't available in 2016? I know Kirby and Herman were on the short list, but let's assume they still go to Texas and Georgia, respectively. Had it gotten past Will – and I was asked who I would have hired, and I would have gone with Shane Beamer. Um, and, and let's say, you know, I've been told different things, but there, let's say there was a Lincoln Riley, wink, wink, nod, nod, stay at Oklahoma because you're going to get this one. Um, God, he probably hired Rich Rodriguez, just to be blunt. So I don't know how that would have worked out. <laughs> so I mean and look it wouldn't have been really Ray's fall because I mean who who else was there I mean there was a you know not a lot of coaches and, and maybe Sean Elliott would have just gotten maybe at that point maybe they would have just promoted Elliott 
And I, honestly, at Elliott not lost to Citadel, it it had probably been a tougher type of decision. But that was uh, that was what that was. So you know, Ray hiring Will Muschamp was actually the best hire Ray Tanner could have made. When you consider what the landscape was there, it's easy to look back and go, "Oh, could have had Lincoln Rally." Well, maybe, maybe not. What of Oklahoma? You know, Ray. Like I thought, the fact that Ray thought to interview Lincoln Rally was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, and I thought the fact that Ray identified Tom Herman and Kirby Smart as his top two was good. You know, for a first time AD. You know, so anyway, Mike, thank you so much for your email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We're going to rock into the weekend folks. Everybody's loving the weekend. It's sunny, sunny this weekend. Hopefully it's nice where you are. Enjoy college football. We'll be back Monday where we have a game to start talking about yet again. This is JC Sherbert. This has been the inside the Gamecocks podcast. Please subscribe on Apple pods and rate us five stars, write a review while you're sitting around watching football this weekend. And until we meet again, folks, JC signing off. Have a great weekend. Holla at you later.